Hello, and welcome to episode number 67 of Future Chat from Unwind Media. Every week on this show, we aim to discuss all of the week's most interesting science and tech news. And thank you very much for taking the time out of your week to hang out with us. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. To help out the show and to get a free audiobook of your choice, as well as a free 30-day trial, please do visit audibletrial.com slash unwind. Audible have more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. You can try one out for free. Again, the link is audibletrial.com slash unwind. All right, guys, uh, this is the last week. A, number one, we've made it to two-thirds of the way to the century mark in future chat episodes. And this is the last week before we take a month off for the summer. There are as many episodes as there are calories in a bottle of Molson Canadian Kick 67. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. This is a Canadian show after all, so it's appropriate that we acknowledge our... It Canadian is. How long did it take you to come up with that fact? I just noticed it when we had 67. Oh, okay. <laughs> so not too long. Yep. Uh, as I mentioned, we're taking a month off starting, uh, well, I guess next week. I'm uh, getting married next weekend, and then there's honeymoon stuff, and it's complicated. Yeah, there is. Is that why, is that why you cut your hair? It, it is why I cut my hair, actually. Although oh. the camera angle as it is currently, you cannot see. It's much shorter than there it was. Go. It's got the Ronaldo look going on. Now, if I said I liked it better longer, how, how would you react? I would be fine. I I have no particular attachment to this hairstyle. It is much cooler in the summer than my shag mm-hmm. was in weeks past. Fair enough. But yeah, no no particular attachment. This is just much neater and more wedding suitable. Cool. Yep. Uh, we do have a few pieces of follow-up to get to. I want to say, actually, before we start too far into follow-up, if you hear cracks uh that is nothing terrible happening it's just there's a huge thunderstorm rolling past here and uh i've already heard a couple so uh, if you hear anything i do apologize but we are in the middle of a chaotic severe light um thunderstorm um so mike you have you have i guess the majority of the follow-up i guess not the majority it may be what ends up taking the majority of the time for follow-up it, it, oh is that my cue okay sorry <laughs> i was waiting for some sort of segue there but okay so we'll jump right into 67 it. episodes in it's still like, wait what <laughs> do i talk now <laughs> okay so i guess we'll lead off we'll lead off with the biggest news first because i think that's what everyone's itching to to talk about and, and hear about uh so for those of you who haven't been on the internet the past two weeks or i guess away from any sort of media We've learned a bit more about Pluto uh, in the a past. Bit more. A little bit, a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so I thought it was appropriate to kind of talk about maybe the most interesting, maybe the one most interesting fact to each of us that we've learned since uh, New Horizon has brought back some images and some data, and the experts have weighed in on on what their thoughts are, and just kind of summarize the excitement of it all. I guess so. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell us a bit about what you've what you've learned and what you found interesting? Well, I think my favorite part is that just hearing the excitement in in people's voices, I guess they're digital voices when you're talking on Twitter, for instance, but everyone is so excited about learning new things about space and it kind of brings 
science to the forefront of everyone's mind. Uh, I think my favorite thing is that we're seeing these brand new images in super high detail. And yet these are highly compressed JPEGs. Basically, as we went whooshing past uh, Pluto, there was a small chance of the, the craft, uh, New Horizons spacecraft, just smashing into a moon or a piece of debris or something. And us just getting no data from from the whole mission, this nine year mission. And uh, so they made sure like to get one really detailed picture um, as we were approaching before there was any huge risk of hitting anything and and sent and they they actually have to. I was I was learning. We talked at length about this in a, a couple weeks ago about how uh, how many different maneuvers they would have to do in in this nine year mission how many different uh, engine thrusts they'd have to do. And it turns out there are a few small thrusters that are basically just used to turn the rotate the craft around on an axis. And so they're constantly, pretty constantly, switching between instrumentation mode, where it's pointed at Pluto and taking pictures and all that. And there's another mode where it's in transmi- transition mode and it can't really do any scientific uh, sort of documentation because its antenna needs to be pointed directly at Earth to be able to send things a little bit slower than a 56K modem. And so it took this picture, it turned around, and then sent us basically the grainiest picture it could to try to get it there as quickly as possible, um, and then turned back around to go into like data sending mode. And so since that, that crush of, say, 20, I think it was 22 hours or so, where it was just collecting data the entire time, uh, it's now turned its antenna back, and it's sending... Um, it's sending low quality pictures first, just while it sort of gets going uh, in terms of finishing up collecting the data and processing it. And then it'll start sending us detailed pictures. So we're still not going to see, they say like 18 months or something. We're still not going to get all the data back, but we are getting a couple of snapshots just and the, the interesting stuff that's contained in these snapshots is kind of the most amazing thing to me. We're seeing all kinds of stuff that we had never expected. We're seeing geology on Pluto. Uh, and it, it's sort of redefining, um, it's sort of redefining geology as a whole because what, what uh, I guess astronomers had originally thought and astrogeologists, which must be a thing, but I've never met one uh, or heard of one, um, what they're finding or what they had originally thought was that there was no, the planets were too small to be able to generate their own geology or to have any sort of internal um, tectonics or anything like that. But the surface of Pluto is extremely young, like less than 100 million years old. And the planets are actually, the, uh, Sharon and the other uh, Nix and Hydra and the other moons of Pluto are too far away and too small to be able to actually uh, generate any sort of tectonics or, or keep them going. And so we're kind of redefining astronomy and, or I guess ast- astrogeology of small planets. And I think that's the coolest part that I've seen all the geologic activity on there that we didn't expect. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, we only have really our earth tectonics to try to compare planets with and say, okay, well, this is fairly earth-like. So you'd maybe expect there to be similar geology on that planet. Um, but yeah, with, with Pluto, because it's so far out and, and yeah, I guess a fairly non-planet in, in the conventional sense of what you'd expect a planet to be that, yeah, all this stuff is kind of unexpected and, and we're trying to figure out what it all means. Like 
and you know, you mentioned that we're we're finding out so many things that are unexpected, but I think even at least as cool is all the different parts that have been confirmed that mm-hmm. you expected and it's actually ends up being like that. Like I know one of them they're looking at the size of Pluto. And before you could only determine the size based on the gravitational interaction with its moons. Um, but now we're able to get a visual representation of how big it is. And it's within like, what was it? Two kilometers or 20, no 20 kilometers of what like diameter wise of what they calculated yeah. it to be. And they've also narrowed down the range of like kind of the error bars. So before I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but it was whatever plus or minus 20 kilometers. And now it's, within that same range that they expected it to be. And now the error bars are even smaller. And yeah. I think it was in the upper end of that range, but now they're kind of getting a better idea of, of those numbers. And then I know one of the other things was they expected some polar caps, I think ice caps because of the migration of, I think was it nitrogen or something within yeah. Pluto's atmosphere. And so it collects up on the top and forms ice caps and they, they saw those there. So that was kind of like, oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, that's that's a real thing. And they expected that. So it's it's kind of science at work both on both ends, you know, conf- confirmation as well as, whoa, there's mountains there. Like, yeah, who'd have thought, right? Yeah. Nick, how about you? Um, I thought the concept of ice mountains was neat. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I <laughs> honestly, and to contextualize it a little bit for you, like, I I saw a lot of this stuff coming out, but I wasn't particularly excited by it. And yesterday I went to Head Smashed in Buffalo Jump for the first time, and okay. I found that far more interesting than the Pluto news. But you're not mm. standing at the base of a Pluto ice mountain. That's probably <laughs> the difference. This is true. <laughs> I was standing... We were we actually went to Frank's slide, and then yeah. I was sitting next to the Rocky Mountains instead yeah. of the Icy Mountains. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I know what you mean, <laughs> what though. Do you do? Yeah, I think for me, it's more you hear about Pluto in its own context of, oh, yeah, you know, it's the ninth planet and oh, now it's not anymore or whatever. But you don't get to see it the same way you do with pictures of Earth or pictures of the moon. But now that you have these pictures of Pluto and learning more about it, it's kind of because I've heard about it within one context. Now you're hearing about it in another. It's I guess it's exciting in that sense. I would also assume uh, assume that you would be more interested in it because you have background in geophysics. So maybe you Although, know that doesn't explain me. You like space. <laughs> yeah, I, you're into I love space. space. Yeah, as evidenced by our space episode. Yeah, space, space, space. I I felt very validated this past week. Um, space. Because in the last episode, I vehemently described several times how I'm going to keep calling Pluto a planet because, like, you know, dwarf planet is still a planet. It has the word planet still in it. And I heard a bunch of scientists, including Neil deGrasse Tyson, talking about, like, basically saying the exact same thing. Like, we didn't, it's, yeah, it's a dwarf planet, but he made the comparison uh, to if we were on Jupiter, if there was life on Jupiter that was evaluating which planets were planets, we would also earth would also be a dwarf planet because it's just like the size comparison is is hugely off so our frame of reference for normal is the planet we're on and so anything that's an order of magnitude or so smaller than that is going to appear small but it's all context and dwarf planet is still it still has the word planet in it so stop freaking yeah. out it's like that line in Jurassic World where it's like it's a monster it's like it's not a monster it's like 
to a canary, a cat is a monster. We're just used to being the cat. <laughs> nice. I still haven't seen that movie. Oh, you should. It's a good <laughs> I'm movie. an awful person. Yeah, I, I should. Yeah. Uh, okay, Mike, what's the next piece of follow-up here? Uh, the next piece of follow-up is we had talked about the networks, TV networks in the States saying, hey, if you're going to unbundle our or stop offering packages of channels, we're going to just offer our own over-the-top uh, streaming services because we'll screw you guys. And that's kind of what we're starting to see, in a sense, uh, in the States now. Now, I think you guys are all familiar with the Shaw... Is it Shaw Show Me that they have? Show Me, yeah. And yeah. I think TELUS has their own on-demand service as well. Crave TV, I believe it's yeah. called. So I guess Comcast is getting in on the action. And it, I think it sounds like this is more new to the States because Canada has had the TELUS and Shaw offerings for at least a year by now. Yeah. Um, well, there's also... I don't know. Are they different significantly than like the Rogers on-demand stuff? Does Rogers offer like TV show streaming or is it all like on-demand rentals? No, it's they offer streaming. Okay. Like if you have the network, you'll get certain things. Like, and we had that back in Ottawa. Yeah. yeah. So Rogers, yeah, Rogers probably has a similar thing then too. Rogers has Rogers on demand and they also have access to show me. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So now Comcast in the States is offering their own similar service uh, and over the top streaming that uh, when you subscribe to it for 15 bucks a month, you can get the TV shows streamed to their to your devices, um, but I guess it doesn't actually stream to your TV, which is kind of ironic. But hmm. if you had a you know an HDMI cable, it's pretty easily to go from your computer to your TV, so it's not a big deal. Um, but it, this is kind of just following up on how these TV networks and service providers are are moving towards streaming versus conventional kind of cable subscriptions. And, you know, I've said before, I'm, I'm 100% in support of that because cable needs to die. Yeah. You're not going to pay less for it, but it can be a lot yeah. more convenient and easy to actually watch the shows you want to watch. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All right. The next piece I have here is from the Solar Impulse, um, the solar plane that was trying to make it around the world. Um the world tour, they were talking about the possibility of getting the battery problems that they had fixed that grounded it, I believe in Hawaii. Is that? Yep. Yeah. Um, so the plane overheated and the world tour has been suspended until at least 2016. Uh, they're going to try again because we were talking about how there was a very kind of a narrow window to make it across the rest of the Pacific and finish the journey. And Atlantic, they, but yeah. Yeah. If they missed it, uh, was it the Atlantic? Yeah, it was the Atlantic we were talking okay. about. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were stuck on the Pacific end. Yeah, but they then had to cross the continent and the Atlantic, right. and there was a finite window in which they could cross the Atlantic. Right, and so they're going to try again next year, basically, because the the time frame is over, and they're not going to be able to to fix it in time. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder if they're going to consider it like the same trip, and be like, "Yeah, we did it." It's like, no, <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> I think everyone would call BS on that pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's hovering in the air somehow, <laughs> like levitated by magnets or something or in a wind tunnel. Maybe. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that's continuous flight. No. That'd be a hell of an environment to work on it though. It sure would. 
Uh, next story, a bit of follow up on the Google self driving car debacle. That uh, since they started releasing uh, details of crash, is it a debacle now? Well, no, they started releasing. Um, it's not a debacle among amongst us because we talk about it in a reasoned fashion. But every time you hear about a self driving car getting in, into an accident, if you're a, a sort of typical consumer thinking about the future of possible self driving cars. You hear Google self-driving car gets into a crash and you think, oh no, it's the end of the world and we should stop letting self-driving cars on our roads. Um, and so Google released uh, details of, uh, I guess it was July 1st. Uh, there was an accident that had, the first accident was injuries that required hospitalization um, for minor whiplash is what they're calling it. Uh, that being said, the car, the Google car was stationary at the time of the accident <laughs> And they were rear-ended pretty hard. And so uh, this kind of, it made me want to at least briefly just talk about the the discussion around kind of avoidance of collision is more than just not crashing into things. It's also kind of coming up with ways to not have things be able to crash into you. I, was I really to hope they're not considering this the car's fault. No, no, not at all. Getting no, rear-ended I mean, like, is always the person who does the rear-ending's yeah, fault. Exactly. But I, it made me sort of think, like, what could you do? Could you, like, remotely disable, like, some, the car version of a taser or something to, like, automatically not only not only cut power to the engine of the other car that's about to hit you, but break it, like, cut the brakes really hard as well so that the car would just stop moving and not crash? Cut the brakes or <laughs> like engage activate the brakes. the brakes? Engage the brakes, sorry, yeah. Cut the okay. engine and engage the brakes. Fair. There you go. Let's be clear on that. <laughs> If only you could just cut the brakes of the car behind you. <laughs> oh, Rob, that's an awful idea. What about like a magnetic field? I, it would have to be so strong in order to repel a car. Yeah. Well, you could do it though. Lenses law. If you just an AC pulse backwards, I guess. It would also charge the car. <laughs> <laughs> Details. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we talked in detail in a, in a past episode talking about these self-driving cars. They've now driven, the Google cars have driven 1.8 million miles and they're still only at 14 incidents, none of which the, the self-driving computer was at fault in. So regardless of the statistics we talked about in weeks past about units and, and the proper way to measure, uh, to compare driving like cars driven per mile or per gallon or per whatever, uh, they're very safe compared to any standard of transportation. I, I think planes might still be safer, like per person per mile, but right. uh, these are incredibly safe and they're not actually the ones doing the damage. If the, if it was all self-driving cars, I can't say there would have been no accidents because stuff obviously happens, but things would be a lot safer and a lot fewer people would have died, even if it meant that people maybe took a little bit longer to get to their destinations. They wouldn't have yeah. to be vigilant at the wheel at all times in order to get there safely. I for one welcome our car robot overlords. I think if I were to do the self-driving car thing, I'd almost still want to feel that I was in control. So to have like, I guess, placebo steering wheel and placebo brakes and stuff so that I could still just do this, but I'm not the one in control, but I don't, I could still feel that I am. Like the ones that they give to children? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like when you give the video game controller to your kid, and it's like, here, go play. And you're like, it's like, ah, stupid kid. 
<laughs> I'm glad you're the one asking for this. <laughs> it's not like we're going to, we're announcing this is a product. It's but like, I wish I had that. The whole thing though, is that people are like, well, I don't want to, I don't want, I want to feel that I'm in control. Like they don't want to give up that control, but it's like the computer knows better than you. So you yeah. should give it the control. Right? I'm imagining a little Fisher Price, like bright yellow plastic dash with the bright red yeah. steering wheel. <laughs> and Mike just sitting at the car going, oh that would be great Uh, i would be reading the paper so fast though (laughs) in all seriousness that's true spring the paper to the car oh it'd be amazing yeah all right our last piece of follow-up is all about the tesla gigafactory which we've talked about now in many episodes uh they are tripling the amount of land that they've purchased and set aside for the gigafactory uh we talked before about how there wasn't actually enough in this brand new factory that isn't even done yet there wasn't enough capacity to be able to meet the needs of tesla and so this is gonna help them get to that point um hopefully this tripling of the land needed will actually make it big enough that it will sustain their their battery business until they can they can make more but uh, they had a, it was a thousand uh, acres of land in Nevada, and you know, back in 2014 that they purchased, and they've added another almost 2,000 acres for this. Uh, by 2020, again we mentioned 50 gigawatt hours in annual battery production for half a million Tesla cars, and net zero energy, or net uh, I guess what you'd say what you'd call carbon neutral. Uh, they're going to generate enough energy from solar panels um, to keep the factory running in, so in the so perfect world it, when it's done. They're making so, renewable energy from new renewable energy? Right. Well, they're making we, batteries making from batteries, renewable energy. It's just storage, not... Yeah. 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 That's good. You'd call that energy neutral, right. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Not carbon neutral. There's no carbon. Right, but I mean, in the in the world where you burn carbon normally to get electricity this would make this would be carbon neutral in that sense i mean if you were comparing it to the carbon required to charge it from like coal it would be carbon negative true very true carbon good on tesla not here also on, on tesla i don't know if you guys heard but i think it was yes no it was not yesterday it was friday uh the tesla press conference or earnings call or whatever it was where they announced a, the, the a battery upgrade for the tesla the um uh, oh yeah s where it got uh you can get a battery ludicrous upgrade for three thousand dollars and as well as a ludicrous mode yeah um, what they they had the what was it called before i can't remember anymore uh, i don't i don't have this in front of me um but basically, now it does something like 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. It's even faster than uh, those crazy videos that um, people were posting uh, of reactions to the Tesla's acceleration. It now goes even faster, and you can get even more range if you get this $3,000 battery upgrade. Mm. Um, I'm just really excited. They also announced that, or they re-announced, I guess. They they said they're still on track to make to get the Tesla 3 out by 20, I think the end of 2016 was their goal, and then... They also announced plans for a new Tesla Roadster in four years. So uh, I'd say buy some Tesla stock if you haven't already, if if you're into that kind of thing. They seem is it to be... publicly traded? Sorry? Is it publicly traded? Yep. 
I'm going to buy some right now. <laughs> if it's not, I would be very, very surprised. I, I've heard that it is, and I, I think this was an earnings call, so I feel like how could it not be? Now you're making me seem dumb because I don't do any stock trading, so I have no <laughs> I have no recollection of whether I saw it actually yeah, it is. Uh, give a public offering. TSLA. Yeah. yeah. TSLA on NASDAQ. There you go. Huh. Maybe I should maybe I should buy some of that. <laughs> yeah, disclaimer, I'm not affiliated with Tesla Inc. in any way. <laughs> Man, wow, should have bought in twenty thirteen. It was like thirty five bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's it's jumped. It's jumped twenty dollars in the last five days. Wow. Wow. Since two th- twenty fifteen it troughed at hundred and eighty five and now it's two hundred and seventy four. I'm almost entirely certain that it jumped after they announced the power wall. Right. That makes sense. They have Hmm. a lot of batteries on the go right now. A lot of products that need batteries. Wow. Um, I don't know if you guys saw in speaking of stocks, Google's uh, released their earnings last week and they, their stock jumped like $90 in a day and then just kind of continued trickling upwards at its normal pace. um, since their their stock split in two into two different stocks, and now they're both doing incredibly well. Um, I don't know if they'll you ever mean, catch up to Google, wait, to Apple, but that stock went incredibly high. Was it a split or like? It, I don't know. Actually, how, it's split into two different stocks in different series or something. I don't know how the stock market works, but there are now two. There's G O O G and there's G O O O G L, and they're two separate stocks. But they're they're they trade oh. similarly, but on different kind of markets i guess mm. okay because because yeah like they have things called splits yeah 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 that's not that's and not that, what this is I it think just they, doubles the number of yeah. stocks yeah. and halves the value but, yeah okay this is separate but i think they also did a split at the same time as doing that so everyone is very confused but uh yeah they could be like one of those preferred share things or perhaps i mean the other thing could be it might have something to do with voting rights on the shares but maybe all right guys we did it we officially made it out of follow-up in less than half an hour (laughs) we're officially a real podcast in that we take way too long for follow-up uh nick why don't we start our the actual show with uh with your story here about medical isotopes well why wouldn't we i don't think there's a reason not to rob it's a very important story. Good. Should I talk about it now? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, so uh, who is it? AECL or the regulator or someone? Anyway, <laughs> very useful. Long story longer. They <laughs> they released a memo saying that the I think it's the NRU reactor in Chalk River is going to have to undergo maintenance in 2016 and so that shortage of medical isotopes we had before it might happen again so i think they were actually saying that triumph out in vancouver was going to try and make some it's a particle accelerator slash collider Mm -hmm. so you can potentially make the medical some medical isotopes that way okay are these isotopes that come from like nuclear waste no, like no, no. These are no. Uh, you make them on purpose. So, okay. like, 
I'm not sure if this is actually one, but cobalt 60. Yeah. That you would use on cancer patients. You put cobalt 59 under neutron bombardment in a reactor and you get cobalt 60 out. Okay. And it's the gamma emitter that will um, do stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That- yeah. Gamma emitter. It'll, it, it's what you use to uh, fry cancerous tumors. Right. Yeah. And there's also, uh, there's other ones. Like I think they use radioactive iodine to trace thyroid function or something like that. Yeah. That makes sense. Or maybe radioactive radioactive iodine kills the thyroid anyway variety of nuclear isotopes for a variety of medical treatments right but the thing is because they have a half-life you can't stockpile them like i mean you could stockpile them but you would have to i don't know depending on the half-life quadruple your stores well the could you put them under like cryogenic freezing no. No, that doesn't slow down the decay. It would slow it down, but not measurably. Okay. <laughs> would it slow it down? It is dependent on temperature, I'm pretty sure, but it's very, like, it's it's not going to, it's going to slow no. it down, like, an infinitesimal amount. <laughs> no. You have to slow it down to, like, absolute zero to get it to actually do any temperature. That's kind of what no, I was thinking, my, but that's not. My <laughs> understanding is it's based on, like, uh, radioactive decay is a truly random process. I don't think it is. I think it depends. I mean, we can talk about this endlessly. I think it depends on time, but it's an exponent or a logarithm or something. So it it's very, very insensitive to like everyday temperatures. You'd have to cool it down to like fractions of a degree Kelvin to get it to actually like tiny fractions of a degree to get like motion to actually stop. And then you might have a chance of having it slow down its reaction rate or its half life, whatever it is. But I think I saw temperature in there somewhere. Quoting the Wikipedia article, Uh-oh. a number of experiments have found that decay rates of, of other modes of artificial and naturally occurring radioisotopes are, to a high degree of precision, unaffected by external conditions such as temperature, pressure, the chemical environment, and electric, magnetic, or gravitational fields. Yay. Bob's right. <laughs> to a high degree Sorry? of precision. Yep. Bob said infinitesimally it is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick... Out in the fact that um, I said, well, obviously I said infinitesimal, but there's still a chance that I'm right. That's yeah. that's all I need. The, the qualifier of to a high degree of precision makes Rob partially right, or at least yeah. not wrong. It makes me not wrong. <laughs> so what I'm getting is this: this is a verbatim quote from Dumb and Dumber, in that you're saying, "So there's a chance." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm not wrong technically. <laughs> Sorry? You're right. You're not correct either. No, I'm not. Cool. <laughs> so you're not correct, but you haven't been like definitively 100% proven wrong. Exactly. Yeah. That's the most important kind. <laughs> I admire your confidence, Rob. Thank you. <laughs> Any other takeaways from this? Uh, should people be worried, or do you think that, uh, like, it says here? Well, I mean, yeah, you should be worried. Um, I want to say that after the last shutdown, 
because that reactor is old. It is, if I'm remembering correctly, and I'm probably not, it's one of the first reactors ever. Like one of the first man-made nuclear reactors ever. Yeah. And it's been operating continuously since the 50s or 60s or something like that. And like they're getting to the point where they're like, this needs to shut down. Like this is old and it was never meant for this kind of thing. And the like there are what three or four nuclear medical isotope or medical isotope providers in the world. I want to say the rest of the world in the wake of the shortage that happened last time, they tried to step up their efforts so they wouldn't run out. But like I, it's one of those things where you, you, you can't stockpile it and you don't really want to build, like have another provider because the market's already pretty well supplied. But like, what do you do? Yeah. At least those you can synthesize, like rare earth metals. I'm pretty sure those you have to dig out of the ground. Like for, for electronics and stuff, rare earth metals for like circuit boards and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there, I think I've, last I heard there's been coming and going as a shortages on rare earth metals, but now that we're kind of becoming more technology reliant is kind of, there's a supply issue there. Not critically so, but yeah. It. Well, it's going to, it's going to fuel yeah. the ring of fire development in Ontario. Cause there are, they found a bunch of rare earths. Oh yeah. Up way up in the North. Hmm. They're trying, like, I think they're currently building a rail track so that they can move the ore to and from. Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of the metals that's used heavily in super, or not superconducting magnets, but really, really powerful magnets that are used in, like, wind turbines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You look skeptical, Rob. I am very skeptical. Um, oh. You posted this link in the I did the thing which I will which I will follow through and post uh, with the episode uh, an Very article happens. from 2009 about nu- nuclear decay rates depending on temperature and re- or specifically that they found no temperature dependence on reaction rate but they only go from room temperature to 19 degrees Kelvin and I I <laughs> maintain I maintain that only. I'm not saying that's not that is very warm for nuclear temperatures. I mean, there's like <laughs> a balmy 19, Kelvin. 18, 18.9 degrees of possibility there. Helium is a gas at that temperature. I mean, it's not cold. <laughs> <laughs> Set the standard now. <laughs> I'm just saying I was saying fractions of a degree Kelvin. So 19. He did I'm say that. To, he did say fractions. I'm going to wait for you to complain about the cold in Ottawa this winter and be like, Rob. Helium's still a gas at that temperature. That's not cold. Uh, yeah. I bet nitrogen is still a gas too. <laughs> I don't think nitrogen is still a gas at that temperature. Yeah, it is. At like cold Ottawa temperatures? Oh, no, I mean 19, 19 Kelvin. No. Oh, no, it's solid, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It might it's be at least liquid. Liquid. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean... At, at any reasonable temperature that humans can do normal experiments at, I think that it's probably not reliant on temperature. But I think that if you get cold enough, if you are able to get 
a cold enough temperature, I think you might be able to slow the reaction down to the point where at individual atoms and individual subatomic particles are getting slowed down by the lack of energy in the system. I think you might be able to affect it, but it would be very minimal. Are, no, no, those are independent quantity. Like temperature is a function of kinetic energy. Right. So if nothing is and at all is moving, then I think it might. Nuclear might. decay is a consequence of the weak, the weak nuclear force. And like the, I guess the thermodynamic driver comes from nuclear binding energy. Like they're completely independent sources of energy. I don't know about this. And Nick's internet went out. So I think I win the argument. <laughs> <laughs> I'm willing to accept that there's a possibility that I'm completely wrong and that it's, it's fine, but I'd like to think that it's possible. That's all I'm too. trying to say. Yeah. Nick, do you have anything to say for yourself? on the matter no don't, don't respond <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> don't respond if you if you sacrifice this position and admit that we're right okay. that's all uh, we need. yeah <laughs> until we hear back from nick i think it's safe to say we will say he he's right and that he has a very valid point and that he's probably right about all of it and that i'm wrong but i'd like to just say that he's not saying anything at all in protest to me saying that I'm right. <laughs> uh, Mike, you have a story here about nanowires that I think I might have seen, but I didn't actually click on. What's uh, what's okay. going on with So this? we've talked quite a bit about lately about uh, small electronics, like Internet of Things type devices that are need to be small and, you know, kind of be useful. And battery... And energy storage is often kind of an issue with those because you want them to be small enough to be discrete and and fit into kind of whatever you're trying to put them in, but you also want them to be functional. And so one of the solutions that have come up for energy transfer, not necessarily storage, but just power, is increasing the ability for the actual transmission of the energy. And that's through these tiny uh, capacitors that are made out of niobium nanowire uh, so they make basically supercapacitors to give surges of energy when it's needed so it's almost kind of like fitting your car with a, a turbo boost so it, it runs on the regular kind of gas you know normal combustion when you're just driving but you can give it an extra boost uh, when you need it so that's kind of the concept that they're kind of coming up with here and I guess it looks to be promising to to be integrated into, you know, health trackers and, and that kind of thing where, where you need them to be small and, but also to be able to communicate, say via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, where it requires a lot more power, um, mm. that small batteries normally don't provide, uh, in a, in a wattage sense. So these supercapacitors are, are going to help to, to do that. And it, it looks like it's not the kind where I know like superconductors often need to be fairly cold to function, properly like these ones seem yeah. to be able to be functioning at room temperature otherwise i don't think it would be a practical application of it but um. uh yeah i would say more more than likely it doesn't work at room temperature yet because nothing has well that's that's kind of what i was confused about but it didn't mention that oh one of the hurdles is that it doesn't work at room temperature i i don't think that necessarily negates the fact that it probably doesn't yet 
that might be the goal, but I think that this would be a lot bigger news if they had found room temperature superconductors, super anything, supercapacitor, superconductor. Right. Yeah. Maybe. I really like this picture. Uh, is this an actual picture or is that like a... It looks like it's an electron microscope image. Yeah, it it looks honestly like an actual thread and I'm wondering how that can actually be sort of a, a metallic type substance. But it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Hmm. New... I really like this. I, I, I always like hearing, I mean, we talk, we've talked many times about how, you know, like nanotechnology is kind of a buzzword, but at this small of scale, it's pretty easy to get things to the point where they function really, really efficiently, which is what you need for things like supercapacitors. Yeah. Um, and when you have that kind of tiny thing, it's pretty easy to make it efficient and there are a lot of applications that are coming out that where we need small, efficient electronics. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to see what, what ends up coming out of, I mean, they they mentioned other nanomaterials here. All right. All right. What I missed. (laughs) Was it fun? (laughs) Nick just coming in. Well, you missed the fact that you lost the argument (laughs) out of necessity. No, I I heard (laughs) the last thing I heard was I'm willing to accept that I might be wrong. And then it cut out right there. Perfect. Because I immediately said, but for now, unless Nick says something, we're going to assume I'm right. <laughs> and then you didn't yeah. say anything. So, Okay. Uh, expect some union action, Rob. You might be Fair shut enough. down for the next month or so. Okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Let me, know, uh, let me know what ends up happening. Yeah, cool. Okay. Yeah. So we're, we're just speculating if, if these actually function at room temperature because they didn't seem to mention that it didn't. Almost never. Yeah, that's almost that's never. What, do they work at room temperature? You know, we were thinking, but that's what I was most surprised. I was like, "Well, it doesn't even need to be cold." So, but it looks like, like the. I think the best breakthroughs bring it to about liquid nitrogen temperatures. Yeah. Why would this even be a thing then? If that would be a requirement. Well, it's exciting, but they're working on bringing it up to to room temperature. That's the goal, but. So Where does far, it say that in it, every other article everywhere. Yeah. If you if you ever go to a conference or a talk or anything where they talk about superconductors or supercapacitors, superconductors, whatever, they'll be like, "Yeah, well, we're really hoping one day." Yeah, but it it is obviously very interesting, and and it's cool that they're able to to get these things working even at any kind of temperature. But uh, yeah, for now we're going to have to kind of sit back and hope the research improves. So for now we'll move on to, uh, to the first story that I have here, which to me obviously is the coolest story that you could possibly imagine. I don't know why it's not first overall, given that I picked the stories, uh, but there's, that no- is a good question. And considering I had good- no number ones. <laughs> I was, I was being, uh, I guess, I was being charitable. I was being nice to you guys. But uh, we discovered, or I guess we, <laughs> people at the Large Hadron Collider. And Rob Collider, is taking credit for this. <laughs> at the Large Hadron Collider, they discovered, or they, they discovered the 
signature of a possible new subatomic particle, uh, which they're calling they they've seen they, or they had they had thought they had seen evidence of a particle like this back in 2003 uh, called the pentaquark. That's what they called it because it's made up of five different quarks. Uh, we're used to seeing particles, subatomic particles that are made of either two or three quarks, and this one has five. Uh, they've dubbed it charmonium because charm is one of the kinds of quarks that are, that exist. Um, and so the coolest thing that I, that I saw when I saw, or that I read when I saw this is that there are five quarks in this and we normally see matter that shows up with groups of three quarks or groups of two quarks. And they're theorizing that it's possible that this new pentaquark is actually kind of a subatomic molecule where you have three quarks in one part and two quarks in another and they're bound together. But it's like, it's groups of quarks in subgroups that are then grouped together analogously to, a, to the way a molecule forms from atoms. And I just thought, like, regardless of the implications of this, it's really cool. And back in 2003, they discovered something they thought was going to be like that they theorized was a pentaquark, but it turned out to not be what they were expecting. And now this is something that they've come up with. They actually got this data before uh, a couple of years ago, back before the uh, collider shut down for a year or two to up the, the power level. And so they've been confirming this result for a few years. And they're a lot more sure that this is actually the phenomenon that they're seeing, that this is actually what they've observed uh, to make sure that it actually was a pentaquark. And that's apparently what, uh, what they found. Reminds me of our Pentateuch episode. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good episode. <laughs> it's interesting that it says here that they actually discovered this and collected the data back in 2011, 2012. Yeah. But I said that. Oh, did you? Oh, sorry. I was reading the article when you were talking. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they discovered it, but they wanted to make sure that yeah. it was actually right and not the same thing they'd seen in 2003. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I knew more about nuclear physics. I think everybody on Earth wishes they would know more about nuclear physics. If, if, you've, if you know a little about it, you want to know more. Like even, yeah. even the physicists at the LHC are still like, oh man, I want to know so much more. Yeah. I, I've, I've obviously have heard of quarks and, and bosons and that kind of stuff before, but like those words don't really, don't really mean anything to me in like a, what they do sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, like when I read this, I'm like, that sounds cool if you knew what it means, but it's, mm. I don't know. I guess it's a new discovery and they're excited. So I'm excited that they're excited. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. If you've ever looked at data from the LHC collisions, basically imagine the smallest possible thing you can think of, way smaller than you're able to see, and then divide it by like a thousand and you have a proton, and then you can smash protons together and like all this stuff is going to come spilling out of them. Like it's just such an unconceivably small scale, but it ends up being fundamentally important to understanding of the universe because this is how everything is made. Like we're all essentially made up of these tiny, tiny particles that group together to form atoms, that group together to form molecules, to form proteins and enzymes, to form like uh, organs and then life. Like it's crazy. 
the scale that it all starts at. And that might not even be the smallest scale. There might be like strings at the bottom of the, of the, don't even go there, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) I said might (laughs) on an infinitesimal level. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so obviously I'm going to keep my, my ear to the ground about the, the updates from the LHC. We're going to see a lot more research coming out now that they've opened it back up. But for the time being, they've, they've found, these it, it, the most interesting thing to me about these these new uh, charmonium pentacork they've discovered is that it's the first of its kind but it probably also means that there are a bunch of these that we've just yet to discover and so we could kind of turn particle physics on its head once again if there's like sort of a whole class of these pentacorks that exist and then there's all kinds of other like we have two we have three what can we have four? Can there be four quarks that form uh, like a superstructure of some kind? Can you have? Well, more no, that's that? just patently absurd. <laughs> I mean, two, three, and five; those are reasonable. One and four, though, why would why would you ever? <laughs> it makes like, me curious because those are prime numbers, right? Could, is four impossible because it's like it just doesn't work? Some symmetry of the universe doesn't allow. Four is not a prime number. That's what I'm saying. Right. Two, two, three, and five, five are. are. Like, is there something about? Or have we just oh, not seen it yet? Like, okay. I'm, I'm curious for all of this stuff to to well, make to make itself known. We all know that mathematicians wait for at least three numbers in a sequence to to determine if it follows a pattern. So, there we, we have a pattern. It's prime <laughs> numbers. <That's, laughs> what else can you say? <laughs> it's also the Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Although, the, yeah, I guess you're missing the ones though. Well, That's true. Yeah. It's part and of the Fibonacci own. sequence. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> da Vinci code. So, I guess just to confirm before I move on past the LHC, there have been no black holes formed yet, right? Some very small black holes, but they evaporated I, immediately. No, nothing of concern, though. Okay. No, That's nothing good. of concern yet. Okay. No, because Hawking radiation is in fact a thing. <laughs> Fortunately for us. <laughs> All right, Nick. Uh, more nanoscience coming out of, I guess this is Dalhousie University? I believe so. What's going on with Dell? Oh, it's neat stuff. They're talking about uh, gold nanoparticles. They ran some density functional theory techniques, Ooh. which are very near and dear to our hearts. <laughs> yes. And yeah, they uh, found out some interesting stuff about the surface of nanoparticles. Okay. Honestly, this isn't earth shattering in the least, mm-hmm. but like they combined their they combined DFT with x-ray techniques and they know a little more about uh the surface of nanomaterials. And nanomaterials are neat. They they're very neat. The amount of surface area that comes up in on the nanoscale is just unbelievable compared to what we're used to. Oh yeah, it's just stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> That's like so stupid, you know? It's like, could there be any more surface area per gram? Like, come on. How long before anything? we see a nano gold covered Apple Watch? Ooh. They, well, that actually, they did make a custom alloy of gold for the Apple Watch. There you go. I was going to say, you could make it nano gold coated, but. It wouldn't last very long. No, it wouldn't. 
A nano coating never lasts very long. They bind very weakly. Yeah. Uh, is there anything in particular that stood out to you in this in this paper? It's more that just I made nanoparticles for a while. Yeah. And so I saw nanoparticles and DFT and I was like, oh, well, isn't that interesting? Nice. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of properties that they're talking in this story about uh, the properties of nano gold and particles that have uh, structures containing gold that are on the nano scale. Uh, They're the kinds of things sort of on the other end of um, tumor therapy and cancer therapy where they inject these cells into into tumors and then shine laser light on them in order to selectively try to selectively kill cells. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're the reason the casual listener might care about nanoparticles is that uh, one, there's stuff like that. They interact with light very strangely in terms of what we're used to materials acting like. But I mean, there, so there are health implications there. So yeah, you can hit something with a laser. They emit in an entirely different frequency and then can kill whatever they're around and you can tailor make them to, selectively target bad things like cancer cells. Mm-hmm. They also have tremendous applications in things like catalysis where you say, you know, gold, not so much gold. Platinum is a great catalyst. Yeah. It's wonderful, but for complicated economic reasons <laughs> relating to shininess and coinage, <laughs> we've decided that it's worth much more than it actually really should be. Right. So, I mean, what you want to do is you want to get as much surface area out of that platinum as possible. So if you make this, the particles of it as small as possible, you get more surface area. But then will it even work on that scale? Because nanoparticles are funny. <laughs> and But the idea being that if you can learn more about the surface of nanoparticles, you can potentially go towards intelligently designing your nanoparticles to do cooler and cooler and more interesting things. Yeah. So Nick, you said you've you've fabricated nanoparticles before? Yes. How does can you give a bit of like the intro to how that's done? Like is it, uh, is it precipitated or like blended or how does that work? Just I'm sorry you will have to give me a moment to think because <laughs> some of that information's protected and I don't know what I am and am not allowed to talk about. Do you do you need a minute cuz there's something I wanted to talk about on sort of this Go, go ahead. Tangentially. Um, I don't know if you guys heard, but this past week, um, there was, there, or I guess they have discovered an asteroid that uh, loops near Earth. And uh, it's opposed, supposedly going to be 30 times closer than, I guess, e- either Mars or Venus ever get to us. And uh, they say there are 90 million tons of platinum in this uh, asteroid. Up to 90 million tons. Uh, Zero this, to 90? <laughs> no, they're saying it's potentially... It, on If it was on Earth, obviously, it, uh, platinum would depreciate instantly if, if this much platinum was available. But five at our current valuation, $5.4 trillion worth of platinum. On nice. uh, it, it is passing by us. I think it's this weekend it was supposed to go by. Um, but people are basically... 
these sort of uh, cowboys of the the space wild west, all these private companies talking about asteroid mining are are like salivating at the, at the mouth, thinking about this asteroid. Like it passes us every so often, and uh, this would be one of the ones that they would kind of first look to actually go and and mine platinum off of this. Um, I just thought it was really cool, and it's apparently it's going to be. Uh, like today, uh, it might be even, I guess it's actually about right now. It's about 10 PM, uh, GMT. So it just, it was at the, at its closest approach just now. Um, pretty cool. Mm. Lots of platinum. I remember one of the first interviews on that topic was like, they asked them something about it. They're like, so are you hoping to make like a ton of money off this? Like, cause you no, know, did once you get that asteroid's constants down, the price of platinum's going to crash. Yeah. And they were like, I know. It's going to be fantastic. You're going to be able to use platinum for all sorts of the cool things that you're supposed to be able to use it for. <laughs> yeah. See, that, I don't think that's necessarily true because the diamond industry, there's a ton well, of diamonds, but only one company holds it. Or the right, majority so of it. It's a that's a cartel though. If there was one company that had all the platinum, that's what I mean. Yeah, they would slowly leak out platinum at very high prices. Yeah, yeah. they wouldn't just flood the market with it. Yeah, yeah. If they were smart, I don't know. The I mean, cartels are getting like a platinum cartel would be approaching the kind of cartoonishly evil. Yeah, end of the spectrum. And Google's motto is "Don't be evil." <laughs> But I don't think Google is doing it. It's Google CEOs doing it. So maybe they can be evil in that case. I don't know. Like, how do these <laughs> rules work? This we- is not a Google project. So we will be being evil in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've seen how oil cartels have worked out recently. So that's true. Yeah. Maybe not as good in, in practice yeah. as it is in theory. So Nick, is there anything you can tell us about the making of, of these gold nanomaterials? Uh, I mean, I thought about it in that minute there, and I mean, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. It's probably the easiest. A bunch, is, a bunch is good enough, I guess. What's the most common well, way? Is it like mechanical? Is it mechanical or is it chemical? Like, are you grinding How it till it's nano it size or what? Oh, I suppose you could do that. <laughs> that would take a long time. <laughs> um, no, like, I mean, I'm a chemist, so... I'm sure you can imagine I was doing it chemically. Yeah. Uh, by taking a salt and then reducing that. Right. But, but I, I think you can do it with like lasers. And I know a friend of mine makes iron oxide nanoparticles by bombarding a solution with gamma rays. What can and you do with lasers, really? It's true. Very go through true. walls. You can burn through them, but it takes a while. <laughs> yeah, no, apparently there are nanoparticles showing up in the Kandu reactors, and they're like, what? How does, how does that happen? And everyone gave a collective shrug, and so now they're shooting things with gamma rays and seeing what comes out. Hmm. Cool. Cool. Yay. So what we're going to do here is we'll end the main show, because it's been an hour. So for the people who are listening but uh are sick of us for some reason we'll we'll do some of our more minor topics um 
coming up. But uh, for now, like asteroid mining miner or miner as in importance miner, <laughs> miner as in importance. Cool. We already talked about the asteroid miner. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm so terrible. I'm uh, so I'm starting this this thing uh, on some of the other shows on Unwind Media, uh, where instead of just saying go check out audibletrial.com slash unwind, I actually go and find a book that's on topic or at least tangentially on topic to what we've been uh, talking about, or at least science and technology. And so this week, um, I'm going to let you know that if you go sign up at audibletrial.com slash unwind for the free audiobook and free 30-day 30 30 trial I told you about at the beginning of the episode, you can go and get uh, the book that the uh, the black hole physicist uh, that was involved with the movie Interstellar wrote about the science of Interstellar and the science of black holes. Uh, the book is called The Science of Interstellar. Uh, the physicist's name is Kip Thorne. And uh, so this this audiobook on audible.com is about seven hours worth of material. So you can go and get that uh, for free as well as to try out the service for 30 days uh, just at audibletrial.com slash unwind. So thanks guys for listening to this, uh, I guess, ultimate episode of <laughs> I'm using that word wrong. The I'm using it in its yep. original sense. The ultimate episode of future chat before we end off for the summer, we'll be back uh, end of August, beginning of September. Um, Obviously, we'll have more science tech talk then. Things will be heating back up after the, the summer has, has cooled down science technology. Uh, and if you head to unwindmedia.com slash future chat, you'll be able to find past episodes of the show and a whole lot more. See you guys next time. Yep. Okay. On to the rest. The rest of these wonderful stories. They are still very good. I assume Nick doesn't want to talk about iPods at all. <laughs> Has Nick ever owned an iPod? No. <laughs> you had, did were you one of the ones that had a Zune? Yeah. Okay. I love the Zune. I love the Zune too. I'm so sad that mine broke. <laughs> yeah. Um well anyways, so what we'll do is we'll keep we'll keep things in the order we have them in now. Um but we will talk a bit about the new iPods. Sorry Nick. Um, yeah. Mike, your story here, which, which was important enough technically by you to get into the show, but <laughs> I think, I think it's probably fine to be in the after show. Um, everyone is getting into the digital assistant game. What's, uh, what's Facebook doing to, to do that? Yeah. So this is kind of what piqued my interest originally. And this is more of a PSA than a, a news item because okay. the headlines that I read was Facebook joins Google now. Apple, Siri, and Microsoft Cortana with their own digital assistant. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know why, but why not, <laughs> I guess? So then I read more. And then it's like, oh, yeah, you can, you can, there's live operators that you ask questions to and they'll give you information or they'll do things for you or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I'm like, that's not at all like Siri or Google now. I don't know why they're even saying that. <laughs> and then I was like, that they already have apps like that. Like, right. you know, before the show, we were talking about that app magic. Yeah. Um, that you're essentially just getting people to do stuff for you and you pay yeah. them for it. Um, which I guess, I don't know if you guys, I, I know we did talk about when it first came out, uh, but I don't know if you've kind of read the, the blog post on people actually trying it out. And they've actually okay. found it pretty cool and more hmm. of a novelty than anything versus a practical kind of. This isn't, is this. 
actual physical tasks or is it sort of knowledge that you're getting? It's both, I think. Okay. Like, I think it's like they'll order stuff for you and like, it's, it's kind of like a, just a digital butler kind of versus a hmm. digital assistant, like where it gives information is kind of people will like, it's almost like a Yahoo answers type service where it's like, Hey, I'm wondering about this. And then people will answer it for you okay. versus like just pulling from Wolfram or from Google search or that kind of thing. But right. they're, they're likening it more to the app magic where you're just texting and then you get an answer back or it'll do stuff for you. So Facebook is entering this game for some reason, I guess, again, why not? But I wanted to kind of do more of a PSA that if you ever read that they're kind of coming with their own Google now rival, that that's not at all what it is. So, hmm. um, but Facebook still, I guess, innovating in their product line and doing things. So that's always good to see. I guess, and unless it means another Facebook app that you have to download. <laughs> right. <laughs> It, it it I do find it interesting because there are a bunch of apps that do this kind of thing. Yeah. Like to talk about a digital assistant, it's not so much it's not digital in the sense that it's a computer. It's digital in the sense that it's through the internet. Sure. There there are apps that I've heard uh, released. Like Task Rabbit is one of them I've heard of. There's another one called Fiverr. I think like Five with an R. Okay. Where people can will like do, but it's more like physical tasks like. The, you basically put out a listing like, hey, I'm in New York in this borough. Uh, go get me a slice of pizza or like go get me five pizzas. Yeah, that's the, yeah, then, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so this it, it wouldn't be new. It's just Facebook getting into this kind of game. But uh, yeah, it's it's a weird kind of thing. I don't know if, if I would trust it, but then I've never thought I would trust a company like something what Uber's doing. And, and yet yeah. I've taken Uber and enjoyed it. So who knows? Yeah, it says, okay, so the Verge article that I that I read says, it connects users to real people to help with researching and ordering products and services, among other tasks. Right. So, hmm. I don't know if they're the ones doing the actual delivering, but they'll, you know, order something off, I don't know, dominospizza.com or something for you, if you were that lazy too, I guess. Right. But, yeah. Cool. I found a working plug. Yay. <laughs> Your battery life is abysmal. <laughs> no, it's more that I just wanted to leave it plugged in. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, the whole like, yeah, they're coming with their new version of now, Siri or Cortana. Yep. Nope. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, though. Thanks, Thanks for coming out, though. Yeah. Glad you got a click from me. <laughs> Pretty yeah. much. I never click on those. The, that kind of thing. When it's like this person, this company released a service that is like this thing. Like I'll maybe go try. The only reason I would click on it is if I wanted to go download the app. But like this is just like, oh, they're working on it. So like if they announce this app is being released, I might go look at it. But I'm right. not going to go and look at their, the fact that they're investigating getting into a digital assistant. Right. All right. Uh, I found a story here this week that I thought would be interesting to all of us because it combines some of our favorite things. Um, microbes, beer and chocolate. Also bread. Well, bread's pretty good too. Bread is delicious. I like bread a lot. Yeah. Wine is wine is nice as well. But uh, basically, there's, so there's a team of Belgian researchers. They've been working to improve the fermentation of cocoa in the production of chocolate. And as with many of these sort of food processes, there are microbes that are involved. And uh, so 
they discovered that the same species of yeast that's used in production of beer, bread, and wine works particularly well as the wording they have here in chocolate fermentation. So I just thought this this was cool because I've growing up, I always thought like, Oh, yeast is this weird thing that I guess at the time I didn't like the taste of beer at all. Cause I was a child. Um, but I thought it was just sort of this weird thing that isn't very useful, but we've just, we've been able to work it into making beer, but it turns out it's pretty useful in making all kinds of things that humans love to consume. And it, the fact that it can be the same kind of yeast, the same varieties can be used to make good chocolate, like to make chocolate even better than it, than it is now. Uh, as it, like it's the same, uh, the same varieties that are used in beer and, and wine and bread is just really cool to me. Have you guys seen that XKCD comic? It is a pretty recent one about beer and how it's like, it's like, I was like, I don't understand oh. why it's like a social, the social convention that everyone oh, just yeah. drinks this thing that no one actually likes. <laughs> and, and the guy's like, I like it. Oh, right. Sorry. Mmm. Yeah. So good. It's like, it's like, <laughs> oh, you're an ass. <laughs> it's like, no, it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really like that good one. one. Yeah. Uh. So. I, I honestly didn't even realize chocolate was fermented. So that's nice. I know, to me. right? Yeah. Is is that like good chocolate is fermented? Like or real chocolate? Like I don't real chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Like I didn't even realize it was fermented at all. But I guess yeah, the, neither the did I. cacao needs to be fermented and then made into chocolate. That's That's interesting. That's cool. And yeah. I guess if it's maybe it's similar to kind of like how hops are used in beer and how it's not like it affects it substantially, but it's not a well-known process, I guess. Right. Like how much it affects Sorry? it. Well, you know how like you can change the hops and it will drastically change the beer. Yeah. Same with chocolate manufacturing. If you change the fermentation of the c- cacao, it can drastically change the flavor, but it's not something that many people are familiar with in the process mm. of the manufacturing of it. Right. Yeah, sure. I'd like to, well, I don't know. Do you have anything like really a a hardcore on this topic that you want to talk about? No, go ahead. I just thought it was cool. So beer versus wine. (laughs) Okay. Way off topic. All right. Go ahead. (laughs) Is it way off topic? I thought this was the after show. Yeah, no, no, it's good after show, but yeah, it's good. Go ahead. It's the pre after show. (laughs) Are we doing the after after show live now? <laughs> it's almost sunset here. We could do after dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like beer versus wine. I know a lot of people that just consider beer pretty pedestrian and not that great. But wine is for sophisticated forward thinking people or something like that. I don't. What do you guys think? Because I frankly just think. Beer is like I, I've enjoyed both, but I think beer is almost a more diverse culinary blank slate that you can play with. Yeah. Yeah. Maria's brought home bottles of wine before, and I'll try it. I'm like, yeah, it's drinkable. You know, it's not. <laughs> this horrible. tastes like wine. Yeah, it tastes like wine, right? It's like, yeah. And then she'll say, like, oh, yeah, it was like $15. I'm like, 15 bucks? And then I realize you only get like four glasses out of a bottle. Yeah. And it's like, and then I do the math and I'm like, 
that's like three fifty a glass. And I'm like, <laughs> a bottle of beer is the same amount, actually even more. And it costs like, you know, you can get a good thing for like two bucks. Like yeah. a two dollar bottle of beer is all you need to spend. Yeah. It's true. Shocking. The, the thing that I like is the the blind studies that um I think we might have talked about where people are given uh, a blind taste test with, yeah. I don't know, I guess it doesn't have to be blind, but they're given red and white wine, but the white wine has been colored with red food coloring. And yeah. they use the words, like they use red wine descriptors when the wine is red as compared to when it's white, even though it's the same wine. I'm where, almost certain I talked about this on Friday night. And yeah. Like they gave them the the white wine. Ah, oh, yes, this is crisp and refreshing i mean there's not much interesting going on in the palate but oh my it's, it's so nice on a hot summer day and they give them the same wine colored reds yes this is more rich and has peppery overtones mm, yes very very interesting yeah not like that last wine at all <laughs> I, i'd maintain that the same thing is there with beer too like especially uh, now no that, no it's now, not now that craft beers are a thing and especially hoppy IPAs, if you if you drink a beer and you know it's a craft beer, you'll probably more than likely be like, oh yeah, this is, this is a good beer. It's it's a good craft beer. But chances are, A, you probably don't actually like it. I've, I've had a craft beer and I'm like, this is disgusting. It's way too hoppy. But I know that I'm, I'm supposed to like it. Like, but... Well, that's, that's individual preferences too. Because like... Um, but it's because I know it's a craft beer that it's, it's cool to like craft beer. Well, no, but like for for example, like Wild Rose, yeah. who I absolutely adore. I love Wild Rose. I cannot say enough good things about them. But they have a like a pale lager out called Electric Avenue. Yeah. And I tried it, and I was all excited for it. And then I tried it. I was like, well, there's not a whole lot going on yeah. here. Right. Like I... I mean, I, if you want to be a successful beer company, you have to have that on your yeah. offerings list. Sure. But I'm I'm no no more excited about it than like Keith's or Canadian or something like that. Right. Mind you, the Wild Rose IPA. Mm. Mm. But no, I I'd I'd still say yeah. There's more of that type of bias or I guess preconceived notions present with wine versus beer. They're like, always going to be hipsters. Yeah. But apparently that even goes back to the time of the ancient Greeks. <laughs> now we're way off topic. <laughs> no, this is still wine versus beer. Yeah. It's the, the Greeks, like you could grow grapes in Greece. So the ancient Greeks were like, yeah, or Greeks were like, yeah, like, you know, we're sophisticated. We wear togas and drink wine. Like, sophisticated civilized people not like those like hooligans up north that wear pants and drink beer <laughs> Ugh, just imagine like beer came close to going extinct but right. there were enough basically enough germans and english or germans and anglos around that kept beer going right made it across the atlantic so to come back to the present day Mike, you're you're conflating craft beer with hoppy beer, and 
all craft beer doesn't no, have to be I, an IPA. No, I didn't IPA. say that. I didn't say that. You, you're conflating the no, two. No, I'm saying especially when it comes to, like, the trend now is to come up with really hoppy beers. Because people look for craft beers and look for IPAs. I don't think that's a trend, though. Okay, okay. There was a great comic on this topic about, like, every, like, brew pub's drink list ever. And they had the hop effer. Okay. um, As one of the offerings. It's like, we took a bottle and pounded... And just pounded a bunch of hops into it. <laughs> it's our hoppiest offering ever. And you'll love it. You'll love it, damn it. Something like that. Right. Yeah. So that is, everyone doesn't necessarily need to love hops, but I've had some truly delicious, not hoppy craft beers. No, I, the I'm, diversity of craft beers are getting awesome. I'm not awesome. saying that craft beers aren't good. I love, I enjoy the variety that craft beer Yeah. Do you really, offer. Mike? I do. Or do you just think you like them? I don't know. Maybe well, I do. It. If, okay, if you gave me, you know, a big, I don't know, whatever craft beer in its own bottle, and just like, oh, that's pretty good. If you slapped like a Budweiser label on that, I'd probably right away be like Budweiser, and then try it, and it already had that reaction in my head, and but, then and th- that affects my experience of the beer. But you can have. What about a nondescript glass? You'd no, be able I, to tell exactly, the difference. No, that's between. my point. So if I drink it, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. What is it? Oh, it's Budweiser. Like I, I, that. I don't think that would happen. No. <laughs> maybe not that specific example but if you know that it's from like a big company people don't like to like the big company beers all the time that's that's fair i mean people people who don't aren't familiar with beer very much probably would have that kind of reaction and go oh i yeah you're right that was gross because it's budweiser once they find out yeah but there are people like my old prof dave bryce who can he asks for a beer from a place that has hundreds of beers on tap or in bottles he asks for one in a nondescript glass and tries to guess which one it is, and he is extremely accurate. He can tell which beers are which. Like, he's not going to get handed a Budweiser and go, mmm, this is pretty good, and then be told it's Budweiser and think, ugh, how could I do this? Like, he see, knows. There's wine drinkers that do the same thing, and they're, like, there's actually, I can't remember who I was talking to, but someone that actually, like, had a course and just became, like, a wine person. Sommelier? Sommelier? What's that? Sommelier? Yeah. And mm-hmm. where, yeah, you have to name the type of grape and, like, how old the wine is and yeah, whatever. Like, what type of barrel it was Asian or whatever. And that's part of the experience, and people are really good at that. Right. Yeah. Those kinds they of people sure wouldn't are. be fooled by a blind test. But they have been. I'm not sure that they have. Bullshit has done different. that type of blind test with, like, professional wine tasters. <sighs> All right. Well, I mean, you can be professional and not necessarily good at it. <laughs> that's true, fair. too. That's fair. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know how to spell sommelier. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I believe that they actually have been. Um, like an actual sommelier has gotten fooled by this kind of thing. I would believe that sort of other people would. But I also believe that if if a sommelier could get fooled like that by wine. I don't think the same process is necessarily true of, um, of beer. Like, I don't think you could just take uh, like Budweiser, add some food coloring to make it a darker Brown and pass it off as some sort of stout or something. No, but you'd put it in like a craft beer looking bottle. 
that says, you know, whatever. And then people are like, mm, mm, this is really good because they see the craft beer label. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that's a question of perception. Right. No, exactly. That's my whole point. Heavily influenced by right. visual indicators. I, and that depends on A, the type of person, B, yeah. the palate, and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I think the type of person is very much like that because I've, I've ordered, you know, like a craft IPA because that's usually what I'll ask for because it's the most flavorful for me. But I don't like a super hoppy IPA. So I'll have it and like, this isn't that good. Like, just because my palate, I don't like the super hoppy ones. But someone else might be like, oh yeah, this is so good because it's like you said, you know, the, the hop effort, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I actually tried, uh, who is it? Do you know who does Mad Tom? The IPA, Rob? It's Bose. No, it's not. Bose brews it for sure. Like it's Tom Green who is, who like his name is on it. But no, it's no, 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 by no. Bose. Not, not that. Hold on. Sorry, I'm I'm confusing the Tom Green beer with Mad Tom. Oh, you sure Muskoka Brewery? Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. I was conflating like, the two, but you're right. Cool. No, I I really like uh, Mus- Mad Tom from Muskoka. Yeah, I I think it's really just well balanced in terms of hop and not malt, but like. I think it's just slightly amberish. Yeah, it is. So it's got a nice little bit of sweetness to it and lots of hops, and it's just wonderful. But I tried a twice as mad Tom when they did that. Yeah. Oh, I could drink one. I like both. I was like, both. I, was like I, I think I'm done for now after the first one. Yeah, I had a pack, a six pack of Muskoka beer, and so two of them were there like a detour, just a standard sort of uh, lager. And then two of the mad Tom and two of the twice as mad Tom. I like them all. Like I, I don't mind hoppy beers anymore. I, I think I used to find them kind of distasting, but now I just really like them. I don't even know what the turning point was for me. So yeah, I don't know either. Like I remember hearing that Keith's was not in fact an IPA <laughs> by industry standards. And I was like, by any standards, but then, really. But. but, but then what's an IPA? And I must've, tried one at some point and been like my yeah the flavor so rob can you not do the same thing with coffee you're saying you got your taste accustomed to yeah but i hate the taste of coffee and i don't want to start because <laughs> it also has the caffeine factor which is great why no, else would I you don't. drink coffee yeah what do you drink for caffeine i don't I do not want to get What's in that any like? way hooked did, on caffeine. Can you can you link to your your ask Rob on the topic, Rob? I can. I just don't like yeah. caffeine. <laughs> no, I know. I know that you drink water to keep your energy up. Like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like totally like hipster. Like to be like I'm, I don't drink caffeine. I only drink water. That's hipster. Yeah. No. <laughs> that is hipster. That's being a drink hipster. I only drink water and sometimes I put some soil in. Yeah, it. exactly. Okay. Right. Oh man. So on that note, I'm going to put a link to uh, a really long article uh, from the guardian about wine tasting in the notes <laughs> talking about all kinds of different things. People, it talks about people being fooled. It talks about sommeliers whose tastes change. They can rate a, a wine slightly higher depending on the label, but it doesn't say that sommeliers 
can be fooled between red and white. I think there's, there is a sort of thing where you're not necessarily going to get a consistent score out of even professional wine tasters, but I, I think they know better about these, uh, like the sort of the red, white type of dichotomy thing where they can tell if it's a white wine that's been dyed red. I might have an old blog post that talks about that I've, too. I'm surprised anyone actually got fooled by that, unless it was just a, like. I would get white, fooled so easily. <laughs> red and white's fairly distinctive. Yeah, I would get fooled. I think our brains are weird. Maybe they really are. That's fair. Like you'd be, you. It's really interesting to read psychological experiments and stuff like that. Yeah, and just yeah. the things that you can change to completely change how someone perceives something. Actually, yeah. that's why like, that's why gray goose has the fancy bottle. Right. Like at yeah. Cowboy park today, actually there was like this button that was just like, press me. And it was this green button on this kind of like standing little thing. Like it was, it was nondescript and it wasn't really attached to anything. So we like saw it and we was like, should press it. So they went up and like pressed it and it didn't do anything. And then we went up and like pressed it again. And it still didn't do anything. And then we kind of like, oh. And then kind of like started walking away. And I'm like, I wonder if that was like one of those psychological experiment things that someone's like watching what people do when they just see this button that says press me. Hmm. Or it just Maybe. like was like off for the day, whatever it is. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. It was weird. Yeah. But it, that came to mind, like those psychological experiment things. Yeah. I have an, I have an off topic <laughs> story. Uh oh. In which I went to the the spoke the student bar in at uh, Western's campus. I ordered a Mad, Mad Tom, and the bartender looks at me and like, "Do you are are you sure?" I was like, "Yes, I've had it before. I really like it." She's like, "Oh, one of the bar or someone had it like not long ago, and they said it was disgusting and not to buy it any or." That nobody should buy it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, sounds like a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> I had one of those at another pub the other day, and it was like, I can't remember what kind. It was an I essay. And, okay. uh, yeah. A session? Yeah. So I like had it, and I was like, oh, it's pretty good. And it was oh, was it, was it, uh, Village's Maiden? No. Nope. I had that one, though. That one was good. Um, yeah, it's tasty. I can't remember which one this one was. Uh, so yeah, I had it. You know, it was good. It was yeah, crisp, like fruity, like had a nice level of flavor. Maria tried it; she actually liked it. And then the server came over, was like, "Oh, so how's the beer?" And I was like, "Oh, it's good. I like it." And she's like, "Oh, really?" The bartender said it was what was the word she used? Like skunked? Like like I think I remember it was like musky or like I don't know something. I'm like, oh, it's, I don't know. I really like it. Oh, like it had gone it. bad or like it was I don't just... know I, I wasn't even sure what the word meant but it was like huh. oh the bartender said whatever I'm like well the bartender huh. said it <laughs> <laughs> oh I had a similar one to that too I went to like oh what was it some bar on Steven yeah and they had like pitchers on for 10 bucks of Calgary craft beer nice okay or something Can't like go wrong that. With that so I got I got a wild rose IPA yeah. pitcher and the guy was like are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and again, yes, I love it. Oh, I think it's gross. Flick walks. Jeez. 
Oh, man. So, way to sell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, unless there's anything more to say about beer, I think what we should do, since we're already at an hour and a half, is... <laughs> there's always more to talk about beer. <laughs> exactly. So I think what we'll do is we'll finish up with iPod Touch stuff, or the new iPod stuff, okay. and the implications for a, a few minutes, and then we'll wrap it up for the week. Does anyone have any issues with that? No. Wait, wait, wait. Let's like... Oh, oh, we should have a segment called The Rundown. I- and that's where... <laughs> We give like 10 seconds to each person to explain the stories that didn't actually make it into the show. All right, here's what we'll do. Nick. That's, that's, that was called pardon the interruption. That's who does that. No, but 10 seconds, what? that's pretty short. Yeah, 10 seconds for all of it is pretty short, yeah. Or are you saying 10 seconds for each thing? 10 seconds for each thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that that's going to do anything. I don't, <laughs> this isn't, I, like, I don't know how you guys feel, but I don't want to just, just like talk about. I just want to blurt out a title. I don't just want to talk about things that have happened. I want to like discuss why. Yeah, I agree. So, Mike, why is the iPod Touch in here? Because <laughs> there's a new one. <laughs> no, I I think what people are surprised about is is that the new iPod Touch is like a legitimate piece of technology. Like it's not yeah. like something you get for your ten year old because they want something to listen to music on. Like there, people are saying that you actually might want to buy one because of the specs it has like if you're okay with it not being a phone and even then you can basically work around that because you can still talk on wi-fi and data so if you have a way to connect it to like a either like a wi-fi hotspot or you know like tether it to your phone acting as a hotspot or that kind of thing then you can actually get away with with using it as a phone if you wanted but they're, they're saying that just with the camera and the the type of hardware that it does have it's is right up there with the other apple products so i think people are surprised by that that they're still keeping the ipod as a relevant product line and you know they're making it in the same colors as the iphone mm-hmm. um you know this there's no reason to not get it really and like and i guess if someone saw you walking on the street with one they assume it was an iphone because it would look like one yeah but i, I don't know what what's your thoughts on this rob because i was i was more interested to hear what your thoughts are you didn't want to hear my thoughts? Hmm? Nick, stop it. What? <laughs> what are you even doing? <laughs> well, I asked why you didn't want to hear my thoughts on it. <laughs> I want the blue one. I want a blue iPhone. Like the dark blue that what it is. What does the blue look like? I, I think I saw screenshots of it. It's really dark and, and has a lot more black in it than, uh, than the, for instance, the old iPod and the iPhone 5C that used to exist. It's like a, oh, so a it's not a blue, blue. It's not a blue like the five C. No. Oh, okay. It's darkened and nice. I don't. I don't know that. Uh, like, I'm obviously not going to buy an iPod Touch. Right. But if it had, I, I've talked about this before. If it had cell service, um, I would buy an iPod Touch in a heartbeat because I don't want. I don't care about the, the calling part of a phone anymore. I just, oh, like like data cell service. Yeah. Right. Well, I was like, well, that's an iPhone, but yeah, I know what you mean now. If I could not have, if I could save, for instance, save four hundred, five hundred dollars, and get yeah. like one a, a phone or a, I guess an iPod Touch with the latest um, technology, but also had a cellular radio, yeah. I would just get rid of my phone number and not like just be like, well, you can't if you want to contact me, don't call me. Yeah. Well, see, I I'm curious because the Samsung Gear S watch 
the mm-hmm. one that has the cell service. I'm curious to know how you actually hook that up with your existing like carrier. Like if they consider yeah. it another phone or just an add-on, like they can just hook up with your same phone number, how that works. Because from my understanding, it's, it's just like a 3G chip. It's not like data. It's not a, a cellular like voice radio, unless it operates on the same radio. Yeah, it's similar. Cause it, cause it doesn't take phone calls. It just takes, Oh, or does it? I forget now. Maybe it does. I think you actually can take a phone call on it. I would hope so. Yeah. So I guess in that case, it would just be another phone number. Then I I think it's just another phone number, but yeah, I don't know. So I don't know, but I guess, yeah, like you were saying, if you can hook it up, I guess there's iPad data plans. So you should be able to do the same thing with an iPhone or an iPod if it had that 3G radio in it. So, yeah. Now, what I need to know from Nick is do you care about having like could you have if they had an android mp3 player like like with a touchscreen would you consider dropping phone service and just go with that kind of thing or, or are you still dependent on the cell phone part of the like the phone part of a cell phone well i have a lot of people that i can only talk to them by sending sms messages hmm. so i'm kind of dependent on that but I'm not sure I would actually. Hmm. I mean, how much is the iPod touch? 200 bucks for the, for the 16 gigabyte one. So it's still less than like an Android phone. Yeah. But yeah. Well, depending what Android phone you're talking about, there's lots of Android that are 200. A good Android phone. Like (laughs) even that's, even that's not true. You can get a decent one. You're going to need at least 300. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. The, Off contract, the Moto talking. E you can get below two hundred, and it's not horrible. I'd say it's even bordering on decent. On contract or off? Off. I'm hesitant. That's like the only one though you. you can get for that low. So sure, I think you're. Yeah, they're pretty low end specs. Like yeah. this is the same processor. I mean, it's it's um, slowed down a little bit. It's a yeah. little underpowered compared to the phone, but yeah. basically for battery because the whole the, the iPod Touch is like five millimeters thick it's like two pieces of paper it's ridiculous the only thing that people are using that's two millimeters thick <laughs> a very thick cardstock um, <laughs> the, the only thing that i have uh that i would not want to do this even if it has cellular really cellular radio is because the camera is still like two or three years old at least the camera technology yeah. and uh i like having a really good camera in my phone you know what I just realized? What did you just realize? Rob wants an iPod with the cellular radio. They already have the mm-hmm. iPad that has a cellular, cellular radio. Cellular radio or? Well. I'm not sure I understand. Cellular radio. It's, 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 cell it's called a radio, but yeah. cellular the, tr- communication ability. Isn't it an, ante- an antenna? Radio antenna. <laughs> anyway. Oh. So there's iPads already that have that. Yeah. So. You just need this iPod-sized iPad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, It's called an iPhone, but (laughs) it's unfortunate that you need, to get an actual plan, you need, uh, I mean, I already have it. I basically, basically by ignoring people who send me SMS (laughs) and by not answering my phone, I basically have that. (laughs) 
I could just turn off the phone completely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So iPods are fine, but yeah, I, uh, I don't, I don't care about the new iPod touch, but I like that the fact that the technology is not dead yet. Yeah. I'm still waiting to see if they put a cellular radio in an iPod touch, because then I would suddenly be re-intrigued. You could always but, be those guys that carry around the iPad minis in their pockets. I with, could. With like the inline wanna, headphones and just. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> uh, one more thing that they, that I read this week about Apple and Samsung was also in on it. They're talking about coming up with a standard for what's called, what they're calling an eSIM. So a SIM card oh, without yeah. the actual SIM card. I read that about that, yeah. Which is terrible. Like, I don't want that at all. Yeah. Um, I like the ability to take out my SIM card and put it in my iPad to get service on that device. And if I if they have an eSIM, you can't do that. You need right. to go through the carrier or through Apple for everything. And I right. I don't want that. I didn't re- yeah I didn't think about that implication. I was like oh that that doesn't sound horrible because you can switch between different carriers if you'd wanted with this yep. eSIM. But yeah, I guess if you're swapping back and forth, that wouldn't work. Yeah, a lot of people would really hate that, and I wouldn't upgrade to a phone that had that. So, but technically contract white you're not supposed to do that right i don't think there's anything in the contract that explicitly bans it they might not like it it doesn't say a dog can't play football (laughs) you see mike in the legal system we use the reductionist theory so rather than making a list of everything that is legal (laughs) it's just what you can't do what is what is illegal yeah that's how it works so if it's it doesn't say you can't do it, it's fair game. So nowhere in the rule book does it say that a platypus <laughs> can't play water polo. <laughs> and again, the XKCD comic that recently yeah, came out was very recently. doesn't say we can't eat your dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys, uh, we're, we're well past an hour and a half. What do you say we wrap up for the summer and, uh, recongregate in the fall in uh august september are we happy with that nick is there any 10 second roundup you want to do of the the rest of the week that you didn't get to this is your chance scientists discovered scientists have discovered how opium poppies synthesize morphine i'll put a link to that (laughs) please do okay (laughs) in that case uh oh wait no there's another thing i think i figured out your 10 seconds are over (laughs) no no, I think the reason that the internet cut out is that it's raining outside. That's and really sad. The, currently, the internet is going overland okay. because it broke in the winter and the ground was frozen. So, makes sense. I think cars are driving over it, maybe, too. That could be something that's <laughs> happening. Cars are driving over your internet. <laughs> you know what? You scoff. But it's a it's a real problem. It sounds bad. Mike, I'm in the south end now. You should you should come over and see it. It's really sad. Where in the south? Southwest. Where southwest? Woodbine. Oh, yeah, that's pretty far southwest. Yeah. My God, man, it's not even. <laughs> How'd you even get it's there? Not the free. It's not the free fare zone. <laughs> it's not even close to the LRT line. Oh. <laughs> I can imagine because <laughs> I live it. <laughs> I may as well be in the middle of the prairies, Mike. You basically are. I basically am. Deer are a real problem in the gardens here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. 
I think that's enough for this week. I will talk to you guys in a few weeks when I am properly tanned and wed. Well, Mike, I'll be seeing I'll, you in a couple. I'll days. talk to you really soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and I'll just stay here. Sounds good, Nick. <laughs> Nick will hold on the fort here. I will hold the fort. <laughs> it's not like a hover fort. It's <laughs> Wander that off. Would be cool. It's relieved of my weight. <laughs> In that case, uh, I encourage you to go if you're not subscribed to go to unwindmedia.com/slash/futurechat and subscribe to the show. And uh, talk to you guys a bit later. Bye. Happy summer. Bye. I'll miss you so much. <laughs>